This is One in 44, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 44 is a weekly show devoted to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning I'm speaking with Richard Schreiber, who is the co-founder of a, an organization called New York City or NYC Autism Community Group. Richard, good morning. Good morning, Eliza. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Um, we really like to use one in 44 as an opportunity to highlight interesting, innovative uh, work opportunities, information um, about autism in our community to uh, as many people as we can. So it was cool learning about uh, NYC Autism Community Group and what you're doing. Um, and I'd like to start by just inviting you to tell us a little bit about yourself and the, I guess, the the, the starting points of, of the group, and uh, and then we'll take it from there. Sure. As they say in that song from Sound of Music, going back to the very beginning, um, <laughs> I'm a technologist at heart. Um, okay. Most of my career, I built software systems, even back in the days before Windows. And that before gave me Windows? There were days before <coughs> Windows? What? Yes, yes. <laughs> we built Unix systems and, and back in those days. Um, but it gave me, has always given me an appreciation for technology mm-hmm. and kind of an eye on innovation, uh, which served me a little bit later. Um, so, and I developed large software products, usually custom-made software for some of the largest investment banks and law firms in the world. Wow. And that was kind of my career for a number of years. And then our daughter was born in 2006, Katerina. She's now close to 15, 16. Wow. And six or seven years, seven years in to be exact, she was diagnosed with, Aus- with Asperger's. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, we, my wife and I, I mean, this dates back eight or nine years. I mean, fortunately today, there's a lot of much more visibility, I think, and and much more opportunities through early detection, early intervention than there were back when we were finding out about it. So like most parents, we said, Asperger's, what's that? Right. And like most parents, you know, without really knowing a lot from the outset, we went kind of down the traditional route. We um, found a psychologist. They prescribed a drug, Adderall, ultimately, after mm-hmm. two or three alternatives that uh, had some kind of scary results. And we put our daughter in ABA services eventually. But then we got to a point where we realized that this wasn't the best for our child. Okay. And I, and I think one of the biggest shifts that parents have to ultimately make when you have a child on the spectrum is to make that distinction between what's best for your child and what everybody is telling you, or what's convenient for you as a parent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a very humbling experience for us. And I think the, the, the moment, the watershed moment that I'll never forget is when my daughter graduated from middle, from elementary school, mm-hmm. last day of school, went to pick her up. And I noticed she's off by herself crying and, and, and in tears when all the other kids are signing yearbooks and talking to the teachers. And I, I went over to her and I said, Katerina, what's wrong? And she said, daddy, for six years, nobody wanted to be my friend. And that just hit me like a knife in the chest. Oh, of course. And, you know, part of it was because the, the Adderall had created kind of a stupefied state for her in school. Mm-hmm. And of course, 
In addition, her, autis- her autism or specifically her Asperger characteristics also made, made it challenging. But what that moment made to me, it was a wake-up call. Okay. It was a wake-up call that as a dad, I needed to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to do, to do more than just check the box and pay the bills and take her to her appointments, show up at school, go to PTA meetings, all of which I did. But when you have an autistic child, it goes much, much deeper and further than that, as we all know. So that led down a path where we started to try some less conventional things. We enrolled her in a program called Brain Balance, which uses uh, nutrition, uh, food recipes, music, um, all kinds of stimulation uh, activities and physical activities to help restore some of the left brain, right brain disassociations that tend to happen in someone on the autism spectrum. Interesting. And while it wasn't readily embraced at that time, we're talking six, seven years ago, subsequently, it was written up in the Harvard Business Review as being just as effective as any pharmaceutical option. So my wife and I felt validated by that. Interesting. Yeah. But that was and that, again, kind of led led us down the path. And then we realized ultimately, you know, my wife and I, that this arduous journey was so challenging for us that maybe we can help other parents in a similar situation. And that's when we formed the New York City Autism Community about five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. And we started on a small scale, you know, other parents that we knew from school, from the neighborhood. We used to have small get-togethers, play dates at our church on the Upper East Side, go to Central Park, have gluten-free snacks that my wife made. But it was a way to create a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and a way for parents to start kind of getting out of this isolation that tends to happen as parents. You know, we think we're the only ones who know what is the best for our, da- for our daughters and sons. And while that's true, we can learn from others if mm-hmm. we just share, if we just talk about it. And that's sort of where it became the, the jumping on point for my wife and I with uh, the community. You know, you raised some really interesting points and, and thank you for telling that story, um, giving us some background on, on you and your family and your daughter um, specifically. I guess I would start my response by saying that I think this, the story you told about picking her up on that last day of school um, for, for any parents who are listening to this um, interview right now, I'm sure that they had an, a very real reaction to that because I think that's a, a very common um and, and unfortunate, but very real experience that so many families have gone through. Um, it's um, meaningful to me to hear that, that that sort of triggered something in you that not only uh, changed the way you were approaching you know, your relationship and your support of your own daughter, but also what I find really cool about it is, is the expansion of that into the broader community. Um, I think that so often I, I have the opportunity through this show to talk to other parents who are raising children on the spectrum. And um, I am astounded by the um, enormity of people's hearts and and minds when it comes to th- this common theme of what I'm doing now will help my child, or even sometimes what I'm doing now probably won't have a direct Im- implication for my own child, but it will help others. And I think that that's very, very unique in the autism community and and keeps a growing community with the numbers being what they are feel very intimate and small and tight-knit at the same time so so i would just say thank you for for thinking of that way so you said that you let's just talk a little bit about the um if you wouldn't mind talk about some of your experiences bringing music and and nutrition and making some changes that you as parents had to embrace um 
sometimes outside of what a professional, you know, quote unquote expert might be saying is the right thing to do. Um, what did you see? You know, did, did music come naturally or was it just something that you tried and, and just wanted to see what would happen when you introduced more of it to Katarina's life? Well, my daughter's always been particularly musical. She likes Katy Perry. And even now she listens to a lot of house music mostly. Yep. So we don't have any kind of any kind of overlapping when it comes to musical tastes. I'm still stuck in the 70s. But, ah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she's very artistic, actually. So mm -hmm. that was one of the things that we discovered along the way. She's actually a cartoonist. She goes to Art Design High School here in the city. Oh, cool. And um, she's very talented. So, you know, one of the one of the things you probably heard the story about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs prohibited their kids from playing uh, video games. Um, mm -hmm. Not that they were necessarily autistic, but that does tend to accentuate the left brain dominance that is reported to be uh, somewhat in autistic kids. Mm -hmm. So by introducing music and physical activities, we love taking our daughter on hikes. She loves nature. She has a cat. Mm -hmm. um, we found that a cat is a really great surrogate companion um, for our daughter. They're almost symbiotic. So it's just breaking the chain. You know, kids today just get too much involved in, in video games and the like. Sorry about the music in the background. Okay. But um, this, this really gives her that extra additive element. Mm -hmm. And the impact is that it relaxes her, makes her much more at ease, and you really see the joy in, in her life come out. So that's been the biggest effect, I think, of introducing her to all these various things. You know, I, I we're going to take a short break in a minute, but I think you just said something that really, um, really resonated with me, which which was that when you said you see the joy in her life come out, I think so frequently we hear about um, all the things that um, the people who are living on the autism spectrum are, are quote unquote supposed to do or, you know, conform to in terms of um, making it easier to for, for us to communicate, for neurotypical people to communicate with them, just by nature of the way you said that, you're recognizing that, of course, there's joy in her life. It's a matter of finding opportunities that, uh, that, that allow her to naturally express that joy. Um, that's a really cool thing. I just thought it was bared repeating um, as a cool way of looking at um, somebody who you might initially meet and you're not sure how to connect but it's not all on, on that person to, to help you connect with them. It's, it's also about offering opportunities and, and finding space to let that person uh, show you what's meaningful to them. Yeah. I'm off. There's a quote that I don't who know who to attribute it to it, but it says basically that autistic people feel like they spend 80% of their time and effort um, acting and behaving and conforming to what neurotypicals want to see in them. But they always get nailed on that 20% that they yeah. don't kind of <laughs> step up and complete. Exactly. So and I mean, just think about anything that you're doing with that kind of return is going to get exhausting and is going to lead to extreme frustration. So, um, sure. well, thank you for that. That, that. that concludes the first part of our show. Um, when we come back, I'd like to hear more about New York City uh, Autism Community Group, some of the things you've got coming up, some events, some ways to get involved, and, and really let's get the word out there about the fact that your group exists and, and um, how people can participate. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eliza. This is 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. Hey, is that a faucet running? Nope, that's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. It is? Yeah. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. The water comes straight from the forest to us. In fact... What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum! That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. How do trees clean the air? 
They soak up the dirty air on their leaves, branches, and trunks, which means clean air for us. Hmm. Cool. I didn't know that. Yep. But the forest does more than give us clean air and water. It gives us shade for hot days, birds to listen to, and trees to climb. Wow. That's awesome. I didn't know how cool the forest could be. Hey, let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does, just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. And now, 1 in 44 continues on 100.7 WHUD. This is a weekly community affairs program presented by the Anderson Center for Autism. Welcome back to 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm talking today with Richard Schreiber, who is the co-founder, along with his wife, of New York City Autism Community Group. Um, And thank you, Richard, for giving us such uh, incredible background on your family, your experience as a, as a father, um, and, and your inspiration for developing this community group. Let's get into some of the detail about, um, you know, what is available. I should throw out there that uh, it has a website. It's nycautismcommunity.org. That's all one word. So nycautismcommunity.org for more information. I was on there earlier. There's really great pictures. There's some information about events that you held. It looks like pre-pandemic, um, as well as uh, some blogs and some of your history. What else do you want people to know about about the group and and how they can get involved and what's what's coming up in the future? Sure. We also have a Facebook group, mm-hmm. um, which you can find us pretty easily. It's just New York City NYC Autism Community. Um, and actually, our Facebook group and the way it's grown during COVID was one of the inspirations that I took in really understanding the need for why we we as a group um, needed to kind of expand and do bigger things because the needs... I live in New York City. I've been here for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, got married, raised my daughter here. Um, of course, I'm biased. I think it's the greatest city in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, presents great opportunities for my daughter, which I'm very grateful for. But the needs here are so extraordinary. Sure. And because we are the most diverse, arguably the most diverse place on the planet, and autism has no boundaries when it comes to race, creed, religion, it's across, that's why they call it a spectrum, because it's across all of those denominations. Exactly. But we began to see that the needs increased through our Facebook group, which grew in volumes. We now have almost 700 members um, post COVID, it's and a lot of people asking the same questions. You know, what do I do? My daughter's just been diagnosed. Now, in difference to what when we were growing up with our daughter, now you know kids are getting diagnosed today at eighteen months. Sure, and wanting to do you know what should they do at that point? Should they enroll them in ABA services? What are the options? Just a lot, a lot of questions. And out of that, really came this notion for me, what can I do to give back to the people of New York City? What can we do as a group? And I I ended up becoming part of a networking group. And I started hosting weekly, uh, monthly or bi-weekly, bi-monthly rather, uh, networking groups. And I started to do it around autism advocates. Mm -hmm. And, And then I started discovering people like George Bailey and his Z pods, which is a a sleeping environment for autistic kids who can't sleep mm-hmm. that, that he created. He is a, an inventor. And other people doing things like uh, Peer Connect, which is a, an app that 
allows communities and organizations to create play dates and partner with organizations for autism sensitive or sensory sensitive locations. Yeah. And others like GoManda, an app that helps probably one of the largest autism communities, the nonverbal or, or limited verbal mm-hmm. uh, community, teaches them vocabulary through this wonderful app. And that's when we got the idea, wow, what if we could bring this technology and innovation to the people of New York City? Mm-hmm. And what if we could also bring other alternative holistic options and choices? Because that's what really spoke to and provided the most benefit to our, our, our child, Katerina, mm-hmm. um, to really support the community here locally. And that's where we got this idea to put on an expo, um, okay. which we ultimately are rescheduling it for the fall, but performing a really robust community of exhibitors and speakers, including Dr. Robert Malillo, who is the founder of Braid Malance, other people in that space, And also, we want to have conversations about some of the more critical things that maybe aren't being talked about as much. And that is the way autistic people are seen in the workforce, the way they're recruited, the way they're hired, um, and how there's so much inefficiency there and so many challenges in that space. Because organizations may hire an autistic person, but how well do they really enculturate them? How well do they support them? How well do they you know, kind of shift what they're doing to help support the autistic person in the workplace. In most cases, it's the reverse. You know, you hire someone and then try to position them into a bucket or whatnot. Right. And that often often can lead to um, just colleges the same way that I, from what I understand is it's, it's sort of one thing to hire somebody. It's another thing to actually help them or support them in, in a sustaining, meaningful career um, mm-hmm. or even just long-term job opportunity rather than checking a box and saying, yes, I've hired somebody or yes, you know, we've admitted this person into our, our college program. Um, often that's not the hardest part for individuals on the spectrum. The hardest part is, is, um, is sustaining that. So yes. that's great. That's great that you've got to focus there. Yeah. And that's so true. Colleges and universities do a good job in some ways of supporting autistic students while they're matriculating, but most of them have, no postgraduate or no alumni presence that helps mm-hmm. engage them post-graduation. And that's another one of the conversations that we want to have. So our mission has kind of evolved a little bit into now bringing forth um, some more social awareness on what really needs to, uh, what really needs to level up and what needs to change. Um, and we're trying to create a mission around that with our vendor community, building a strong vendor community, speaker community that get to know one another that can help each other because it's the cause is not one, unfortunately, that's going to really get its roots in capitalism or government or these kinds of things, or even some of the traditional service providers out there. Mm -hmm. Um, It really comes from innovation and, and technology. And that's what we want to bring to the parents of New York City for starters. We have an expo that we're uh, scheduling. It looks like it will probably be September, October timeframe here in the city. Great. But that's only our first one. Yeah. We want to have, we want to take them on the road in other cities and across America and possibly even internationally by creating this community of parents and of caregivers and service providers and exhibitors that can provide these alternative, these holistic, and these tech and innovative solutions to them 
that most parents, in my experience, may not be aware of. No, it's, I, I think that sounds great. Uh, it sounds exciting. And, and I would assume that people can go to your website, again, nycautismcommunity.org or follow you on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, to, and you'll, they'll be seeing more information as that expo gets, um, the details get settled. Uh, but be looking out for that for the fall. I, I think it's really cool. I, I've, um, I've been in this field for um, 15 years or so. And even just over that amount of time, the change in what people are talking about um, is is uh, is really significant, um, and I think that I, I guess a kind of a larger statement I could make just from my own experience so far is that um, it used to it used to feel very much like there was sort of one path or or maybe a couple, but there was sort of one very traditional path, um, and this was after all the many years of just no diagnosis or um, you know huge um, <laughs> uh, I, I you know. I, Trauma and trauma and blaming yeah. mothers and all, you know, what, what people went through for all those years um, before uh, getting to a point where there was, uh, you know, more knowledge amongst pediatricians and, and, and also less stigma. So families yeah. wouldn't feel comfortable saying, I think something's going on. Let me go get some more information. But in the last 15 years, I'd say, you know, it's really, to me, been an expansion of all that. And it's kind of what you're talking about. Like, yes, there's, there's ABA. Yes, there's, there's, uh, there's medication, but there's also a whole lot. And, and rather than feel threatened by looking into these and, and, make, and helping people be aware of what their options are, you know, their options. And, it, and what yes. it also does is it really lifts up, I think, the parent, parent community um, who are true advocates and are the experts on your child, no matter what anybody says, you know them longer than anybody. Um, so I love what you're doing. And I, and I think um, it's, it sounds great. I, I just got noticed that we only have about two minutes left. So I just want to uh, see if you have any closing comments on, uh, on what you're doing or what you're hoping for, or what you'd like people to do after hearing this, this interview. Yeah. I think what I would love to leave the parents with is you do, you know, you're doing God's work. There's no question. Be proud of your child. Uh, think of them as who they are. They're exceptional. They may have, by perception, different ways of doing things, but it is not a skill deficiency in, in many ways, in most ways. Um, but also, what we're trying to do with our movement is create hope, hope that there are alternatives. And there are. There are many people in, in this space that are doing amazing things that you probably don't know about. Mm-hmm. And what my mission is, is to make them known to you so that you can still make your own choices, but you know that there are alternatives out there that hopefully will, you will be attracted to and that will produce meaningful results for our children so that they have the ability to lead the lives that they deserve just like any other kid. That's uh, a great statement to end on. So thank you so much, Richard Schreiber from New York City Autism Community Group. Uh, please visit them. Their website is New York's N- nycautismcommunity.org and follow them on Facebook. There's an expo coming in the fall of 2022 in New York City. So stay tuned for that information as well and, and keep track of them. Richard, I really appreciate all that you shared today and best of luck with everything that your group uh, has coming and into the future as you as you expand your um, your footprint and your and your impact. Thank you, Eliza. Thank you for what One in Forty Four does. Um, it's a very special program that you have on to illuminate and bring light and and hope to the families with 
and with people on the spectrum. That's that's a great thing. Thank you so much. This is one in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to one in 44, a weekly presentation of the Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at this time next weekend.